Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at that Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. You can uh, visit the website lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll also visit with Mark Schulman, uh, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, about current global affairs. And Linda Harden will be joining us as well. It is September the 13th, and on this day in 1862, Union soldiers found a copy of Confederate General Robert E. Lee's orders detailing the Confederates' plan for the Antietam campaign near Frederick, Maryland. But Union General George B. McClellan was slow to act, and the advantage of the intelligence provided was lost. On the morning of September the 13th, the 27th Indiana rested in a meadow outside of Frederick, Maryland, which was served as the site of the Confederate camp just a few days before. Sergeant John Bloss and Corporal Barton Mitchell found a piece of paper wrapped around three cigars. The paper was addressed to Confederate General D.H. Hill. Its title read, Special Order 191 Headquarters, Army of Northern Virginia. Realizing they had discovered a copy of the Confederate operation plan, Blossom Mitchell quickly passed it up the chain of command. By chance, the division adjutant general Samuel Pittman recognized the handwriting on the orders, as it was a colleague from the pre-war army, Robert Chilton, who was the adjutant general to Robert E. Lee. Pittman took the order to McClellan. The Union commander had spent the previous week mystified by Lee's operations, but now the Confederate plan was clear. He reportedly gloated, this is a paper with which I cannot whip Bobby Lee. I will be going home, he said. And McClellan knew that Lee's forces were split into five parts and scattered over a 30-mile stretch uh, with the Potomac River in between. At least eight miles separated each piece of Lee's army, and McClellan was just a dozen miles from the nearest Confederate unit at South Mountain. Bruce Catton, the noted Civil War historian, uh, I think he wrote... uh, peace at Appomattox, observed that no general in the war was ever given so fair a chance to destroy the opposing army at one piece at a time, yet McClellan squandered the opportunity. His initial jubilation was overtaken by his caution. He believed that Lee possessed a fair amount number of troops uh, that the Confederates actually had, despite the fact that the uh, Maryland invasion resulted in a high rate of desertion among the Southerners. McClellan was also excruciatingly slow to respond to the information of the so-called Lost Order. He took 18 hours to set his army in motion, uh, marching towards Turner's Gap and Campton Gap in South Mountain, a 50-mile-long ridge that was part of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Lee, who was alerted to the approaching feds, uh, said troops uh, to plug the gaps, allowing him time to gather his scattered units. Squandered opportunity. If you don't act, if you... If you snooze, you lose. That all happening in this year, in 1862. Well, again, a reminder, sizzlingdining.com is the website. You can find the restaurants that are participating in the, this fixed-price menu for both lunch and dinners. It runs through September the 28th. Highly recommend you check it out and uh, try a new place, Sizzling, sizzledining.com. 
If there's one issue that the mainstream media and Democrat Party establishment are truly out of touch with, it's the American, average American. It's the Second Amendment. Journalists and elected officials alike routinely write off the idea of good guy with a gun as a myth and otherwise dismiss self-defense as a valid justification for firearm ownership. But a new comprehensive study and survey shows that once again the defense of gun use is far more common than violent gun uh, crime. From polling from sentiment, the new survey finds that more than 81 million American adults own guns. Of these Americans, more than 31% re reporting having used their firearm in self-defense, including many who report just having done so more than once. Extrapolating from the representative sample, the survey finds that guns are used in self-defense roughly 1.67 million times annually. In self-defense, 1.67 million times annually. Importantly, the survey includes instances where guns were not actually fired, but rather brandished or revealed to scare away a would-be assailant. Sometimes progressives will cite surveys that show very small amounts of defensive gun use, sometimes as low as 70,000 per year, but those often only count times where someone was ultimately wounded, a small fraction of self-defense cases. We put the, this information in context with of whatever role the prevalence of guns might play in violent crime in America. Unfortunately, as John Lott has pointed out, American, Americans wildly overestimate the frequency with which guns are used in violent crime. Per federal data, only about 8% of violent crimes involve guns, but the public generally thinks that the percentage is much higher. In reality, Lott explains guns are used in violent crimes about 370,000 times annually in the U.S., Yes, that uh, means defensive gun use is roughly four times more common than violent crime involving guns. How about that? Yet violent uh, gun crime is indeed horrible, and emotional arguments for gun control can pull at the heartstrings. But this survey once again proves that the right to bear arms in self-defense is clear, net positive for society, and actually uh, makes us safer. You know, if you brandish a gun, uh, if... Uh, <clears throat> somebody who's trying to break the law or trying to hurt you, and they see that you have a gun, they're probably going to run away. Interesting information. Governor Ron DeSantis presented a $1,000 bonus to law enforcement officers in Jacksonville after Florida officials approved bonuses for all first responders across the state for the second year in a row. Florida supports our first responders because these men and women put on the uniform every day to serve and protect, DeSantis said. These bonuses are a token of our appreciation for the work they do and sacrifices that make to keep America and Florida safe. I'm happy to deliver the bonuses for a second year in a row. Now, just parenthetically, I'll say, I don't know if you recall a couple of years ago, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all the stuff that was going on, the casting aspersions on law enforcement and first responders. It's great to see that these folks are recognized because they went through a rough row with uh, the left acting out against law enforcement. The payments were part of the budget the governor signed this year. Police officers, sheriffs, deputies, paramedics, emergency medical technicians, and firefighters are eligible for the bonus. But we want to actually uh, be $1,000 in your pocket, DeSanta said. So he's going to for these about almost 100,000 Floridians, they're going to get $1,000 net of taxes. Florida's firefighters and first responders are dedicated to protecting our communities and keeping Florida safe, said Chief uh, Opera, uh, Financial Officer Patronus. 
With others seek shelter or run from safety, these brave heroes run towards danger and place their lives on the line to save others. Thank you, Governor Ron DeSantis, for his unwavering support of these outstanding men and women. Uh, the DeSantis administration has implemented a number of measures to encourage law enforcement members to move to Florida. A new law provides $5,000 for new law enforcement recruits who decide to serve in Florida. It can cover up to $1,000 for any necessity or necessary equivalent training programs for officers relo- relocating to Florida. So doing what the DeSantis can to keep us safe and law enforcement uh, trained and uh, prevalent in society. Well, a new consumer uh, spending data from the Department of uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics provides some sobering perspective on how much Americans are paying in taxes. The data covers consumer spending over a wide variety of categories in 2021. Overall, taxes accounted for about 25% of average consumer spending. Uh, The uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics measures spending per consumer unit on average, each consumer unit pays more than that would be a family, husband, wife, uh, people living together. They, these consumer units paid more than 16000 in taxes last year. This outpaces uh, average spending on food, clothing, education, and health care combined. That means for the total spending per unit of health care, Food, education, clothing was about $16,721. This included an average of $8,289 on food, $5,451 on health care, $1,226 on education, and $1,754 on apparel. This means the total spending per unit of taxes was $16,729, including $8,561 in federal taxes, $2,564 in state and local income taxes, $2,475 in property taxes, and $5,565 in Social Security deductions, and about $105 in other taxes. So the Department of Justice is, by the way, can you see this? We're spending more in taxes than we're actually spending on our necessities. And yet here we are in this period of inflation with the value of a dollar is going down. Take-home pay and real dollars is going down as well. Unbelievable. Well, the Department of Justice is refusing to release 15 pages of documents explaining the Biden administration's strategy to implement a voter access policy that is being coordinated with far left-wing groups just weeks before the 2022 election. In March 2021, President Biden signed Executive Order 14019 promoting access to voting. President Joe Biden issued an executive order on access to voting on Sunday that instructs federal government agencies to promote voter registration, help Americans apply to vote by mail, combat misinformation, quote-unquote, among other measures. The executive order was promoting access to voting reads like a Democrat Party wish list on reforms that enshrines many of the practices that were adopted on a temporary basis during the pandemic. For example, using federal agencies to promote voter registration, using federal agencies to inform Americans about voting, uh, linking federal agencies uh, and their websites to state voter registration websites, and the list goes on. The point being is that uh, really it's up to the states. It's uh, the responsibility of the federal government to expand access to and education about voter registration election information and to combat misinformation in order to enable all Americans to participate in our democracy. That's uh, what they're saying. 
But of course, under the U.S. Constitution, elections are largely administered by the states. But critics of Biden's executive order noted that it amounts to an attempt to federalize elections and to do so without authority from Congress, never mind the U.S. Constitution. As Molly Hemingway of the Federalist noted in June, Biden was elected in 2020 after Democrats and their donors, such as billionaire Mark Zuckerberg, funded and commandeered local election administration in key counties and crucial swing states. The Foundation for Government Accountability, which I I proudly serve on their board, filed a Freedom of Information Act request for documents about the DOJ plan uh, last year, which the DOJ refused to produce. Well, we uh, followed up on that in court and ended up uh, getting uh, the uh, documents. Then uh, their strategic plan for Executive Order 14019. Pretty sad state of affairs. Uh, you know what you see here is the Democrats and the Biden administration simply trying to somehow, some way, hijack the midterms. Don't think it's going to work because a lot of folks are pretty fired up about this election and what's going on in America. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best of building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, uh, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Right now we have with us our state senator, Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Kathleen. I know your agenda and uh, schedule is so busy right now. appreciate you taking the call. <laughs> so maybe you can tell us what, what you're up to. What I'm doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> well, here's, um, you know, this is the sprint towards the election. Mm-hmm. And so I've been crisscrossing the state, meeting with people, um, raising funds for uh, Senate campaigns. Uh, and it's been, it's been uh, very hectic, but very productive, getting opportunity to meet with people about issues that they're concerned about. Um, and, you know, they're very pleased with what the governor's been doing and what we've been doing. So I, I've been seeing a lot. You know, we talk about a red wave. I feel pretty good about that. Good. As I run around the state. So uh, November will, I can't wait till November comes because I can start the real work. Yeah, well, exactly. In, in fact, uh, the Foundation for Government Accountability has proudly served on their board. They uh, got a FOIA request, yeah. which was denied last year, but finally got a copy of it. It, it revealed uh, Biden's plan to try and uh, hijack the elections again this year by f- using the federal branches of government in order to register voter, voters and that kind of thing. Uh, are you seeing any, yeah. any evidence of that here in uh, in Florida? No, not at all. In fact, um, every day we register more and more Republicans. Uh, yesterday, I was talking to the governor, and he was uh, he was pointing out that the, the uh, voter registration drive that his office is, or his the RPO has undertaken has been very successful, and um, every day registering more and more Republicans. Uh, you know, and it's not just people that are moving. To Florida from up north, uh, but uh, former Democrats who are just not happy with the direction of the of the country. So wow. I feel pretty confident, and, and uh, you know we have great candidates running for office in Florida. Really um, solid uh, people, a lot of people with military backgrounds. So we're we're I think we're going to do really well in the election. Uh, so good to hear. I couldn't help but notice that Charlie Crist is comparing himself to Jesus Christ and. Ron DeSantis to, to Satan. <laughs> he called him Ron DeSatan. <laughs> oh my lord! Does he have uh, a Does he have a chance? No, I, I. You know, I don't think so. I. Uh, you know, some of the comments that he's made over the past six years or so um, have been are, are going to be held against him. Like he, you know, I think he was. Uh, somebody mentioned that he was interviewed on The View recently, and uh, or not recently, in the last year or so, and, and they, they were talking about, you know, closing the state down or whatever, and he was adamant that he would have uh, imposed that mask mandate, closed the state, and nobody, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, wants to close the state down, and once we reopened, uh, wanted to stay open, and so he continued to talk about closing down, which is a ludicrous. 
It certainly is, Kathleen. Now, you mentioned you, you visited with the governor, and I know the, how uh, much you're working on, and it's a complicated issue, affordable housing uh, right. in, in the state of Florida. Did you have a chance to visit with him about that? Yeah, we did. We had a, a lengthy conversation. He has, <clears throat> he, has, me, he has some great ideas. Um, we're going to work collaboratively. Um, I've, I've already met with the speaker, designate Renner, about it. We have uh, maybe about... 10 or 15 points that we can address from, um, you know, additional dollars for uh, uh, assistance or down payment assistance, but but more so uh, encouraging local governments to work with the uh, affordable housing developers by giving tax credits and the like uh, for for those types of products. And, and, you know, as you and I talked about, we're not talking about um, Section 8 housing. That's covered federally. What we're talking about are the everyday working people, you know, employed by our businesses around the state. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, in fact, one of the things that I learned that I thought was interesting, so a state attorney's starting salary now is 70000 They need affordable housing because they can't afford to buy anywhere on the coast. So we need to be able to, you know, and these are some people went to law school. So these are the, the type of um, uh, units that we're looking at, and, and the governor is right on board, and I'm, I'm really pleased to work with him on it. I'm changing topics here, but it just occurred to me uh, that I saw a report from the Heritage Foundation that uh, we're ranked number one in the United States, top state in terms of pu- uh, public education, going uh uh, K yeah. through uh, through secondary uh, education through uh, uh, college education. I thought that was pretty remarkable. Well, over the you know, I'd say over the last uh, six or eight years, we have invested more dollars uh, in our K through twelve system and and higher ed. Uh, but we've also asked for more accountability. Uh, you know, giving our parents choice where they they want to send their kids has created a much better atmosphere, and it's also holding the uh, public school accountable uh, uh, for being productive and, and an emphasis on reading and, and some of these other things for the younger ones has been, has been, has been working. Well, Kathleen, this has been a very reassuring conversation. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show and a lot of our, my imaginary fears about what could happen in this election. You somewhat dissipated, so I genuinely appreciate well, you. In Florida. <laughs> in Florida. In the free state of Florida. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Kathleen. I think she's on the road to another location to help uh, with the election. So, all right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239 239- 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, by the way, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the My show. My pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, as is our custom, we'll talk about current global affairs, and I thought we could start off with the turn of events in Ukraine. It sounds like some, in fact, I think you predicted this. Yes, I did. I said this was going to happen. I wasn't sure, but this is exactly what's happening. The Russians are falling apart. Uh, the Ukrainians basically, at least in one part of the battle, have now won. So they've now won two of the big battles. They first won the Battle of Kiev, and now they've bought, won the battle in the northeast part of, uh, part of the country. And a really high chance the rest of the Russian army is going to fall apart at this point, because there's a good chance they're being out, um, they're being outmaneuvered for sure, but they're being outflanked, and more and more of their troops are uh, in danger. There are rumors right now that the, their troops in Kherson, which was one of the big objectives in the south, um, are now negotiating surrender. Um, part of this, of course, was a marvelous um, feint that the um, that the Ukrainians did. And the Russians fell for and moved all some of their troops out from the north down to the south, and then the then the Ukrainians attacked in the north. But again, it shows the Russians are just a paper tiger more than anything else. And right now, there are many more Ukrainian troops than, you, than there are Russian troops in the battle. Russia is being depleted of, of manpower, while Ukraine, from the minute the war began, which was six months ago, started drafting all ma- you know all males between the ages of 18 and I think 50, 55. And while that doesn't help you in the first weeks of the war, by now these people have been trained. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a fairly large army, and you're being, you're getting um, large amounts of uh, Western arms every single day. The Russians can't get new arms, and the Amer- and the Ukrainians are getting new arms. You know, Mark, so, I, I, said the, I saw reports of actually uh, the Russians throwing down their arms, leaving equipment, uh, and running away, scared. I mean, they, they, everything's just verifying what you're saying. How's this all splashing on uh, Putin, do you think? It's starting to splash. That's the interesting thing. And first of all, there's starting to be criticism, which there haven't been. Twenty uh, local Russian officials have sent a letter uh, demanding that they withdraw from Ukraine, something they wouldn't have thought of doing three weeks ago. Mm. 
Um, there's talk on the on the Russian TV of criticism, not of Putin, but of the way the war has been waged. So it's you know it's it's very hard to keep the word of a, a defeat of this of this size from the Russian people at this point. And um, some former general once said, uh, "There's nothing better than a than a scared retreating." Uh, soldier who then spreads more fear amongst all of the other soldiers be in, behind, and uh, that's what's happening. Yeah, it's and um, you know this was a you know Putin. If you remember, I predicted that he was going to invade because he's obsessed with this, and there's no with no logic. Mm-hmm. Um, successfully, the West and particularly President Biden put together a coalition that has been supplying Ukraine with maybe not as much arms as they would like, but certainly plenty of arms at this point, and. Um, they, they're winning. It's very simple. They're fighting for their homeland. They care about it. The Russians are paid, basically, soldiers who are not getting paid, and they don't really care what what happens. And so if they, if they get scared, they're going to run run away, and that's what's happening. Yeah, kind of like mercenaries. So there's no national pride when it comes to the operation of the military from Russia. Certainly not when you're attacking another country, yeah. unprovoked. Yeah. Right? Remember, this is a completely unprovoked attack. There was no basis for it. There were excuses made up by people about NATO expansion, which wasn't happening. But this was just unprovoked Putin trying to recreate the Soviet Union. And uh, happily he's failed. And maybe this is a turning point amongst all the supernatural and nationalists. But in the meantime, there's a little war taking place between Azerbaijan and Armenia, which had had, um, been quiet. And now I believe Azerbaijan, the Armenians, get support from the Russians, and so they, they, they can't get the support they were used to be getting. So hmm. we'll see what happens there, too. Absolutely. Before we move into other uh, issues around the world, I'd want to love to get your comments about uh, the United Kingdom and England uh, now that uh, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth has passed and we have a new monarch. What are your thoughts? Well, look, the two parts of this. England itself is in trouble, both in terms of energy prices right now for the winter, um, the United Kingdom was is you know is the monarchy basically. It's united in the fact that the Queen or now the King of England is the sovereign. Um, there's going to be a problem right now because uh, the new King is not nearly as popular as the Queen was, and probably not as popular as the son. And so there's going to be this feeling of an so almost an interim period. I mean, he's the oldest uh, person to ascend to the throne in history, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can feel sorry for him on some levels. I mean, sitting and waiting all these years, and he was. Someone said to me, "How lucky it is to have someone who has a mother who's alive until the ninety-six. And I'm sure we would all wish we we had that on one level. But if you're waiting to take over the throne, it must be kind of frustrating. Mm. Uh, so we'll see how that how that plays. You know, there's there's talk. Well, is, is New Zealand going to remain, or is it going to become a republic? Australia. I, I think it really depends. Um, how he fits in the role of king. Uh, there's a certain if you're part of if you're part of the Commonwealth. There's a certain feeling of oh, we have we have a king, we have the queen. They don't have a lot of power over us, but at least from a symbolic standpoint, it's it's continuity. You know, and, he's uh, he's that, getting that's what it amounts to is continuity. If you historical continuity, you can like it or hate it, but that's what it represents. Yeah, a uh, two question. First of all, uh, my understanding is he's getting pretty good reviews in the first few days as a monarch. So far, yes. So far, it clearly is. He's trying to be a little more of a person of the people, um, being out there. You know, again, you have to keep in mind the fact that Elizabeth has been was old for the last ten years. I mean, you know, not she was in reasonable 
health, but still not the sort of person that can walk amongst crowds and those sort of things. So I think he is trying to do that. Also, it seems his sons, after some of the issues that existed, um, have come together, and that's also a good sign for the monarchy. Um, so we'll have to see. But um, look, there's something very majestic about the monarchy, and there's something rather anti-democratic about the monarchy, so you can pick either side of it, right? All right, exactly. So, uh, but uh, whose decision is it, and how might it work? I mean, we know that Scotland has been uh, a little disenchanted with the uh, being part of the United Kingdom, and you'd mentioned uh, uh, down south in uh, the, uh, I've forgotten the name of the country, forgive me, but nevertheless, uh, the, the, how is this going to work? Do you think there's going to be, uh, the United Kingdom is going to be able to retain its unity? Scotland is one issue. The Scotland is a particular issue, and the Scottish issue is they were very much against Brexit. And so they're still very angry about the Brexit decision. Um, and so if they split from uh, England and the United Kingdom, it will be more over a question of Brexit than less over the question of the, of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Brexit has not gone well anywhere, and particularly in Scotland. Um, so... We'll have to see where that, where that, how that develops. Um, I think they'll stick together at the moment, um, but it's very hard to say. You know, the world is. Look, let's put it this way: in the 15 years that we've been talking, think of all the changes that have taken place much quicker than we possibly would have thought. Exactly. You know, Mark. Uh, speaking of the United Kingdom, right? Or um, excuse me, the uh, European Union right now. I guess it's having its own uh, issues uh, with regard to. Uh, staying together, the financial crisis, things that are going on right now. Any comments on that? Yeah, well, there's two issues. The main issue in the in in Europe right now is is the energy uh, situation mm-hmm. and the fact of being cut off from Russian oil, which, like I said last week, was less important and more important is being shut off from the gas, and where it takes a long time to replace the gas. There is a fear, of course, of a very cold, very cold winter, not because it's going to be necessarily cold because of the forecast, but if you don't have enough gas to heat your homes and everything else, it's a problem. The price of gas, of course, has gone way up, and supply and demand, and the supply for the demand has gone up. And so that's putting a major dent on the European economies. The European economies generally are not doing as well as the United States, and um, this is making it much more difficult. I don't think there's any pressure right now on on the EU as an EU at the moment. People mm-hmm. are just individually worried about how they're going to deal with the energy situation. There's some differences uh, with the war in Ukraine, but not as much as one would have expected. I mean, the EU is much more united than one would have thought. NATO has been much, much more united than one would have thought. Um, I just think it's going to be a difficult winter. Yeah. By next year, if, if this continues in one form or another, and this could continue not so much as a war as so much as the Russians cutting off energy, Although what the Russians are doing actually is, as they say, cutting off your nose to spite your face, because uh, ultimately Europe is going to find other sources of energy, hmm. and so they're going to lose their major market. So I think this winter is going to be a challenge. I think if they can get through this winter, I think by next by next summer, of course, the need, needs of energy in the summer go down, and by the following winter, I think they'll find alternative sources. Uh, from the Middle East and other places. How about the emergence of a populist movement in Italy and other uh, well, locations in in Europe? Look, there's always been these popular movements. We had in Italy, we have a populist movement in France, we have a little bit of populist movement in, in, in Germany. Whenever there's a group of people who are unhappy, populists succeed. And um, that's uh, 
a nature of populist movement who who exploit uh, people's unhappiness and depend depending on what and where. And sometimes it's not even rational. Sometimes it's just an unhappy with the direction of the country. Um, and they exist in in most countries at the moment, but by and large, none of them are reaching a majority situation. Um, and um, so it's hard to predict forward where, where these things are going to go. If the, some, if the winter gets really bad, obviously you can expect populism to to gain additional momentum. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, in some way, ways, look, the Russians, on one hand, are creating the crisis, on the other hand, are uniting people because everyone understood the fact that an, an invasion uh, with no real pretense is something that has to be stopped and we may have to pay part of the price and we as individuals <clears throat> who don't have enough energy or whatever it might be. All right. Well, Mark, we uh, need to take a little break. Can you stick around? Absolutely. Bob. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. What's the update in China? Well, two parts of it. There's still large areas that are shut down because of COVID. Uh, number two, 
there's still shortage of electricity because of the drought. It's beginning to ease a little bit and an incredibly hot summer, the hottest on record in China. It was the hottest on record in, in Europe as well, but in China particularly has been hurting the farmers and, of course, has dried up part of the Yangtze River, which is the key <coughs> producer of hydroelectric. Um, and all of this is resulting in a um, lowered economic output, and China is effectively in a recession at the moment, which is something you never hear regarding, regarding China. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, going back to the, the, our normal situation here, we were so afraid that China was taking over the world, and it's not exactly happening right now, let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean... I talk about militarily, I mean, there's still the issue with Taiwan and, and all their incursions, but that's a whole other story, I think. Yeah, and uh, you had mentioned uh, China being in a recession. What are the indicators? I mean, uh, how's employment? Is it? Uh, what are the indicators for that recession? Well, the recession is really just a, a decrease in economic output. There are unemployment. We don't have any unemployment figures for China. I don't think yeah. there'll be an un- unemployment because they don't have enough workers. Yeah. We go back to the to the underlying problem that China has, which is its um, demographics. There are more people retiring every day than there are joining the workforce, mm-hmm. and so. That's uh, a major impact on the Chinese economy. So I don't think we're going to see any, uh, you know, any unemployment anytime in the future. But the fact that the economy is actually contracting and not growing—remember that, that China was always growing at eight, nine percent sure. a year. Amazing. So let's let's uh, move to North Korea. They've decided they passed a law declaring it, uh, themselves a nuclear state. Uh, is there any change in this, the status here? What's going on? No, I mean, look. We, I mean, it's it's stating what what what, ex- what exists. We've had uh, American presidents since uh, Bush the father, um, through you know, through Clinton, through uh, Bush the son, through Obama, through Trump, and now all have failed in terms of North Korea. Yeah. And the reason is very simple: no one wants a war, and uh, no one's willing to take the military actions that might end up in fifty thousand artillery shells landing on Seoul. Yeah. Uh, what is what does North Korea want? It's not clear, really. You know, it's uh, first of all, like any dictator, he wants to maintain his rule more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And he has a real problem in the sense that somehow information still seeps into the country. And you look at North Korea, look at South Korea. South Korea is an incredibly prosperous, modern country. North Korea is an incredibly backwards and poor country. And there's only one thing separating the two. You know, one is an open capitalist society, and one is a one closed in one of the last communist societies on earth. So he wants to maintain his power the way he maintains his powers to his military. Yeah. Mm. Sad situation indeed. So uh, let's move to Iran. Uh, okay, so Iran, you know, it's very interesting. Coming from Israel where I've been, everyone was saying there's going to be an agreement any day now, agreement any day now. I have been saying now for six months that the Iranians don't want an agreement for reasons that are not totally clear. But they've been the way they've been acting is they do not want an agreement, and sure enough, as everyone said, they were very close to an agreement the last couple of weeks. The Iranians actually went backwards in their response to the last proposals that were made by the United States to the Europeans, and so there's no sign of an agreement anytime soon. I don't think the Iranians want an agreement. I'm not quite sure why um, they don't want any any controls on their on the nuclear program, similar to um, similar to North Korea. Hmm. Um, so there'll continue to be some sort of a cold war between Israel and the Iranians while the Israelis will continue to uh, try to take actions to hold back uh, the Iranian program. 
Um, but the United States and the rest of the world will maintain sanctions. It will have limited effect, certainly as long as Iran is working closely with the Russians. I mean, an interesting piece of news from this morning is it sounds like the Ukrainians downed the first uh, Iranian-built drone that the Iranians sold to the to the Russians. Hmm. Um, so that's an interesting access, uh, so to speak, between the, between the Russians and the Iranians. So interesting. So uh, do you have any thoughts about the, uh, you know, we just uh, had the 21st anniversary of 9-11, and there's a possible plea deal that's going on between the 9-11 conspirators, uh, co-conspirators, and uh, the United States government down in Guantanamo. What are your thoughts? Well, two parts to it. I mean, okay, there's going to be a plea deal. The reason there's going to be a plea deal is because uh, it's very hard to try the, the, some of these people because some of the methods that we, we achieved statements and everything else would not stand up in an American court in terms of torture and all sorts of methods that we used. Um, but let's keep in mind they've been in prison, most of them, for 20 years already. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem finding some sort of plea deal um, that they might eventually see freedom. I mean, none of, the, none of these are the actual perpetrators, obviously. We took, we've killed them. I'm not the ones who died, obviously, in 9-11, but we killed the, the immediate perpetrators. Um, I don't think there's any choice, really, from what I can tell in terms of legally, um, because, you know, we've, we've found all sorts of ways of holding Guantanamo, which is not a U.S. territory, which, and therefore certain American rights don't, don't apply, but the minute you bring them to an American court, all the rights that, um, that people have in the United States apply to them. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, uh, in a sense, uh, the continuing the legal operation to, is somewhat of a, it's like purgatory, <laughs> you know, so, but it, yeah, it, it, the optics of this are not good, especially for the people who lost loved ones in, in 9-11. No, absolutely not. It's definitely not good from, from that optical standpoint. But again, let's keep in mind the fact that these people have been in prison for 20 years already. Yeah. And, you know, most sentences, people get out after 20 or 30 years, in any case, even murderers, uh, very often. So, I mean, is, is it optimal? No, of course it's not optimal, but the whole situation is not optimal. And, you know, we still have to maintain our legal system. You know, one of the things you don't want to have happened as a result of 9-11 is throwing away the Bill of Rights. Yeah, and, we're figuring out yeah. other ways to do that, Mark. <laughs> Unbelievably. So, Mark, uh, before I let you go, uh, any any comments on Israel? Uh, you just left there yesterday, I believe, uh, from Tel right. Aviv. Uh, and uh, any thoughts politically? And, and well, there's a new, there are elections coming um, in two months there. Uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying desperately to get 61 seats so he can become the new back as Prime Minister. He's deep in his trial right now on corruption, and um, but he has no intention of resigning from politics. He thinks it's easier to fight his corruption being prime minister and maybe maybe over, over, overturn the court decision in some form or another. The country remains pretty much divided between those who favor Netanyahu and those who oppose Netanyahu. And um, that's really where it stands in terms of the, the politics. Um, and... Um, it's unknown right now. Right now, right now, all polls basically show him a little bit short of the sixty or sixty-one seats in the parliament that he needs in order to return to power. Hmm. Um, but um, and other than that, the major issue remains the issue of the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. There's a certain level of violence going on, but there's no easy solution um, anywhere on the horizon. And people have gotten used to the fact that there's no easy solution on the horizon. Which, right. 
is a problem. And it is a problem. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I encourage you to visit the website. Very robust multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with Linda Harden, get her thoughts on what's happening locally and around the world. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that at Luby's Diner, uh, if you're a first responder or if you're wearing red, white, and blue, you can receive a 20% uh, discount on your entree between now and Friday. So it's a small way of honoring this day and for the community. Um, we're talking about 9-11. Again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree uh, Shopping Center. We have with us Linda Harden. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won on Sunday. I'm so happy about that. Yes, they did. Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady. Did it. I think he's, he's planning on retiring. Hey, this just popped in my mind. Uh, we were watching the tunnel. It was, I think, the quarterfinals or the semifinals for the uh, for the uh, uh, U.S. Open. And uh, the guy that was in charge of this thing gets up and talks about Ukraine, didn't talk about 9-11 on 9-10, I think it was. I think it was on Saturday. It was on 9-11. It was 9-11. To me, it was just disgraceful that he could bring up our support for Ukraine and not talk about 9-11. Well, I posted that on Facebook, oh, by the way. And and um, one of our friends said, oh, well, they did a nice tribute to it at the beginning. And I wrote back to her and I said, I don't give a hoot what they did at the beginning. The fact that that at the end during all this ceremonial 
um, activities after the the men's match was over, and and this guy should have mentioned 9/11 again. He didn't. And to your point, all he talked about was Ukraine. It took the competitors, yeah, the, the competitors, guy from the, Norway, the guy from to Norway, to say, "Oh well, we have to remember this special day in your history." Yeah, I was appalled at those people. And oh, by the way, let's not forget that. Um, that the whole U.S. Open thing situation is woke because um, what were we watching the whole time? Not only was the U.S. Open brought to you by, among others, Moderna, and all the ads were from Pfizer. Yeah, that's a good point. It's true. Well, and in fact, uh, I I think I saw... (laughs) Yeah, I I think I saw reports that... uh, Evidence that uh, they're trying to uh, pigeonhole or, or memory, get, hole. memory hole, 9-11, make sure that people aren't talking about it and they're not getting taught in school about, you know, young people in public schools about 9-11. So, so I told you about, I was listening to Bannon uh, yesterday morning on my walk and um, he was uh, interviewing this, uh, this gentleman who works for Real America's Voice down by one of the uh, fire stations down close to um, Ground Zero. And he, was, he, he knows this whole history about... Um, what's happened to the World Trade Center, the first bombing, all that stuff. By the way, did you know that during the first bombing of the World Trade Center, which was in the basement, Bill yeah. Clinton didn't even show up to, to visit that. I mean, that, that didn't even happen. Anyway, he was talking, he had been talking to a bunch of the people who were still gathering around from, from 9-11 from the day before, and he talked to this one gal who had a 9-11 hat on. And she told him that uh, she was... Uh, She's a coach for a soccer game. She was coaching a soccer game on Sunday, and she had her 9-11 hat on while she was coaching, and she was asked to take it off. Hmm. And, the, and Bannon says, well, let me talk to her. I wanted to talk to her and find out why. And so um, he got her. Her name was Christina, and, and he said, uh, Christina, why, why did they make you take your hat off? She says, I don't know. You know, I, I, it just it blew me away because... It was 9/11, and it was part of the the whole commemoration of the the terror attacks. And she, she said, "I took it off and put it on on top of my gear and stuff." But she says, "I was appalled." So they went on with the whole conversation about how um, how they're trying to to take the place of 9/11 with. And this, oh by the way, I don't know if you've mentioned this before, but all the speakers on 9/11, Alejandro Mayorkas, why they had him there, I have no idea. Um, they, they focused on Kamala Harris, who was on Meet the Press. Um, they focused on Joe Biden, who was shouting at the Pentagon. He was just shouting about democracy and how we can't let this country <laughs> di- be divided. And, and all they could talk about, she, they, Joe Biden said, oh, we can't focus on the past. We have to look for the future. Completely throwing out any, any uh, feelings that people who are in attendance might have about yeah. commemorating that day. It was absolutely appalling. Yeah, indeed. And, and to your point about Alejandro Mayorkas being a speaker at this thing, I mean, he's he got open borders. He lies, lies, lies. Now this whole administration is just unbelievable. I, well, again, like I, I said before, they think we're stupid. They think we're not paying attention. And Kamala Harris, when she was asked on Meet the Press, uh, so what do you say about the borders? Oh, well, um, we're just trying to clean up with the last administration Unbelievable. And, and then how about Biden saying, you know what, I inherited a financial mess and now the economy is getting going and we're, things are starting to work? I mean, it's... I'm serious. They, they, they really think the American people are stupid. And, and what's, what's horrible for them is that people are going, 
no way. Yeah. No way. And it's 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 uh, showing in how many people show up for Trump's uh, rallies. It's showing up in these elections being uh, won by uh, America First candidates. It's just absolutely incredible that these people in Washington think we're so dumb that we're going to believe everything they have to say. Like, uh, take example, California. Oh, Gavin Newsom says, everything's so great. We were the freest, <laughs> the freest state in the union and, it, it, and, and tries to demonize Ron DeSantis. When, when they can't even, oh, we're going to be with, without, uh, no, no, uh, Gas guzzling cars are going to be driven after or bought after, was it, twenty thirty five? Twenty thirty five, I believe it is. And 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 we're all going to have you know electric cars. It's going to be good for the good for the uh, environment. They have such they have such poor infrastructure there. Not only do they not have water, they got brownouts. They have to turn off their TVs and they can't plug in. They have to turn off unplug their major appliances because including their electric cars yes well they can't they can't plug them in and and i don't know i mean surely all of your all of your uh listeners have been to california being without a car in california forget about just it just doesn't work it does not work and police those things have to be charged up every couple hundred miles and my you know in california uh, we lived in California for 10 years. You drive, you could put on 50,000 miles on one of those cars so easily. There's no such thing as walking to the store. No, there isn't. No, there I isn't. I mean, even where we lived, which was which was not in the in the midst of all the mayhem down in L.A., but to get to the grocery store, it's an hour trip just, be, just because of the traffic um, going to and from. You know, it's just, and we were we were very close. It's just we, incredible. We were, you know, uh, uh, on one of our visits on next Tuesday, perhaps we can talk a little bit about the new information we're getting about COVID. It is so fascinating. Did you see that ninety-two uh, percent of the people uh, who take who took ivermectin uh, or no hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, ninety-two percent of them. Uh, would have uh, not. Would, uh, it would have reduced hospitalization and death by 92 percent in the United States. And remember, uh, Trump was promoting this, and uh, in fact, uh, Fauci and the CDC said, "No, that stuff is not good for the, you. Have to you have to take the the jab." And the jabs are now proving to be extremely harmful. Well, you, we don't have enough time. No, we to, don't. By the way, we'll all, just tease that for next I week. I know, but but but, and we have to remember to do that. By the way, next week, because so much the news is coming out like a fire hose. Right. So so we have to address all this stuff. But but to that to your point, and I'll end with this: all those people who 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 ignored stuff that could cure people of this quote unquote virus should be brought up for crimes against humanity. Well, of course, the Nuremberg. Uh, Protocols have been violated because we didn't have uh, full disclosure and, and uh, initial consent. What do they call it? Uh, consent uh, for uh, informed consent for uh, for all these things. So, Linda, I always appreciate your commentary here. On the the show. time went fast. It sure does. Thank you so much for joining You're us. You're welcome. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow we got great guests, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. And we'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Uh, we like to increase the audience and support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.